Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic so that I can educate myself, um, keep myself like entertained because I have some really amazing guests and just share with you some of the amazing people that I know and I've come across in my life in this journey that we call horses. Um, today, my guest is Mary DeBono and Mary and I have probably known of each other for, I don't know, at least 10 years. Oh, more than that, Wendy. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're both Feldenkrais practitioners, and we've done a webinar earlier on Feldenkrais, and I'm sure Mary will go into that a bit. But we've been like um, ships in the night, constantly crossing paths and knowing uh, the same people, but never getting to meet each other. So I am so excited today to have Mary as my guest, because I finally get to talk to her in person. So welcome, Mary. Thank you for thank joining you. me on this webinar. Wendy, thank you so much. First of all, I'm super excited to finally meet you, and I'm just so you know, honor to be here and just thankful for these webinars you're doing. So thank you. And, you know, for this opportunity, I'm excited. Oh, no worries. They're really fun because like I said, you know, now with the pandemic, even though people are figuring out how to go back to work, there's still a lot of people that aren't. And, um, right. and, but, you know, I always look for the good that comes out of something. And with a pandemic, yeah. the one thing that's really positive is that it's forced us to have a constraint and change the way we do things. So uh, we're going to talk about constraints too today. Because awesome. so. <laughs> that's a really classic Feldenkrais yeah, idea. Exactly. Um, but it's gotten people using technology that wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. And I, I, you're very good. I can see you've got your mic and you're all set up and you've been terrific um, to have as a guest. But there's a lot of people that I've had on that I had to... A, they had to get like their granddaughter or somebody to come yeah. and figure out their computer and B, just walk them through the process and have a test Zoom um, to be able to bring that information. So what I know is that there's so much information out there that yeah. is, is kind of stuck in, in analog, if you will. Yes. Um, and yeah. it's so valuable that that's really one of my goals here is to bring that information out to the, to the internet world so that people can access it whenever they want. That's so awesome. And think about that. Think of how you're changing those guests' lives because now they know how to do it. Now maybe they'll be brave enough to do their own Facebook Live, you know, and, and again, get that information out to a broader audience. It's so wonderful, Wendy. And actually that is what's happened because I've had a number of guests and they're like, oh, I know how to do it now. And it's great. So yeah, yeah. I'm still training and teaching, right? <laughs> Even well, if it's Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Mary, tell us, uh, you know, I really don't know your background. I have no okay. idea um, how you got here. So just tell us your, how you got to where you are today. So I was one of those typical girls that was just born loving horses, just like out of the womb. I, I was born in the Bronx. Okay. So it wasn't like <laughs> country, right? It wasn't like Texas or Virginia or someplace. We're talking the Bronx, but I just had this thing about actually about all animals, but you know how it's like super specific, like you want a horse, you know, and also dog. I was very drawn to dogs and horses particularly. And, you know, I, as a young kid, read everything there was to read about dogs and horses. And I'm not talking about like stories. It's not like there's black beauty and all that. I was always in the the adult book section, taking down horse books, breeds of horses, confirmation, you know, movement. And we did move away from the Bronx. We got a house on the island. We got a dog. So I was seven maybe at that time. And we actually started showing our dog. So then I got really into movement. My dad and I did all this together. 
I really got into training and movement. I remember reading the book, The Dog in Action, which is all about biomechanics. And then what I did was I pretended my dog was a horse. So I would lunge my dog. We would do jumper courses. We did everything. He was a great dog, a Norwegian elk hound named Zeus. Great name. And, and, uh, so it was always this horse. So I remember one day as a little kid, I would go to the library. I would take down all the dog books, all the horse books, and all the physical therapy books for people because they had no physical therapy for horses back then or dogs. And I would sit there thinking, I'm going to put this together somehow. How old were you? Oh, little, little, little. Like 10, 11. I mean, wow. it's, isn't it amazing what is already in there. You know what I mean? Like the desire, the desire, right? And then luckily I have the dad that I have and he became a horseman, I think, because his daughters, you know, we all loved the horses. And so we, in addition to the dog, we eventually did get our own horse. But actually before that, we took lessons starting when I was quite young at Ann Gribbins's, you know, Ann Gribbins. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't train with her, but with her uh, instructors on Long Island. So we were at her farm. As a matter of fact, my dad's horse that we had for 22 years, the most wonderful horse, was from her sire Bagatelle. So, um, you know, I'm from Stanford, Connecticut, right? Just across the sound. Oh, yes. And now, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I did know that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We were like close at one time. Yeah, yeah. It's, cool. it's crazy. But um, so, so what's great too about growing up with my dad is my dad's an engineer. Okay. And he's always learning. So he and I would study every book about dogs and horses that there were. And this is, this is something I was thinking about this. This was a really fun game. My dad and I had, we would go to horse shows. So this is before we had our own horse. I got my own horse when I was 17. We would go to horse shows. We would watch jumper classes and we had a game that three strides before the fence as observers, we would whisper to each other how the horse was going to do over that fence. Was he going to touch a hind rail with a, you know, with a hind foot? Was he going to refuse? Would the horse run out? And we got really good because you know the movement, everything happens before the fence, right? Right. You know, people think it happens at the fence. Mm -mm. It doesn't. So that was our thing was we had to call it no later than three strides before the fence. You know, we'd, put, we'd park at a certain fence. Right. And that, from a really young age, Wendy, taught me to really observe, to really tune in. And my dad, as much as an engineer he is, he also has an intuitive side. So he, we were tapping into, like, both of that, I think. He doesn't, like, talk about the intuition, but it's there big time. I'd be curious so, what his Myers-Briggs is. Oh, I don't, I don't know what mine is even. People have guessed. Oh. I, I've never done that. And he hasn't done that. I don't believe either. But um, yeah, now he's, he's closing in on 96 now. Oh, wow. Still living by himself on horse property and doing all wonderful things out there, chainsawing trees and. On yeah. Long Island? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's really, he's really awesome. But so growing up with him allowed, I think, helped train my, my eye and my heart, if you will, like to, to start to, I don't want to say communicate, yeah, communicate in the fact that get in that information of what the horse was going to do. So I was always drawn to this. So I actually started doing hands-on work with horses before I even knew about Feldenkrais. Oh, wow. 
And I was very drawn to working and we're going to, you know, what I'd love to share with people today is a lot of stuff with the ribs and the sternum. For some reason, that's always been a big draw for me. And I remember in my Feldenkrais training, which I took in the early 90s, I thought, oh, they do this with people. This is what I've been doing with horses for, you know, all these years, right? So that's my background is that that's why Feldenkrais was such a natural for me because it was like, oh, it's all about, you know, observing movement, sensing movement. It's all stuff that my dad and I have been doing since I was a little kid. That is so amazing. And so amazing to have a dad that's so supportive and, uh, you know, really cool because the, you know, I find, and I'm sure you do too, that the hardest thing for people is to learn to observe. Yes. Once we can see it, we can do something about it. But if, you know, I always say, you know, how often have you walked around with your keys in your hand and you couldn't start your car? Right. Right. Or your phone, you're on your phone. Have you ever done that one? Oh, I've, I've had WhatsApp meetings, video, and then I keep looking for my phone and I'm staring at it, right? Right. Yeah. I'm Um, glad I'm not the only one. No, no, no. Um, But that's the thing is until we observe it, it doesn't exist. And so it's it's so many people, you you know, can't see what's happening with their horse because they haven't been trained. And it is a skill. Yes. 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 It requires training and honing and anybody can do it. Um, but it's something that we have to develop. And when we're not taught how to do that, we can't see what's in front of us. We, and so that's, uh, yes, absolutely. Feldenkrais is one of the, uh, you know, I've trained with Mia Siegel in addition to yes. my core training. Um, and the rib cage is huge oh. with Mia and, you know, learning to observe. Yes, love Mia. Yes. She is just, she's a treasure. She is a treasure. Yeah. Yeah. How wonderful. But yeah, so but what I found too, though, Wendy, because I've been teaching this, so I've been teaching, you know, workshops where I teach people how to do gentle, you know, basic hands-on moves with the horses. And I actually find sometimes that the less experienced horse people are more open to seeing mm-hmm. things because they're not already habituated. Right. So they don't have a thing that I'm supposed to, you know. So uh, I always tell people, what's your first impression when you see the horse walk? Just go with that and then we can fine tune it. Mm-hmm. you know so yeah for sure so yeah all right so you spent this time with your dad and you sat there and watched horses at horse shows and then did you go to college or where where'd you go actually you know what so so my backstory is I didn't go to college and I had all I was in all honors classes in high school um, I took a business track and an academic course track because I loved science and math I skipped a year of math I mean it was like I loved that part and my dad's an engineer it was like very Um, but the thought of leaving my horse, and this is before people would take horses to college and all that. So I got a job right out of high school. And actually I worked in Manhattan for a number of years because I grew up on Long Island. Matter of fact, I worked for a while at the Twin Towers. Um, and then what I did is I, you know, I was, I'm always a worker, you know, so I made my money. I saved up money. I then got training in programming computers and I got a job. And so for 10 years, and then I, I, I went from being a programmer to a systems analyst and a systems designer. So then for 10 years, I designed computer systems for Wall Street firms and insurance and aerospace industry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's my background is I was good at, I have to say it, it wasn't a passion, but I was good at it. Right. Well, it's those skills that you already had that you just applied. Yes, yes. The foundation, the detail-oriented, you know, the engineering thoughts, the math, that's all. I I 
tried to work with computers, but I couldn't see the one little error I made and then it didn't work. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Wendy, to this day, I love flow charts. I like, I'm, I'm old school. Cause I'm talking, we're talking like in the eighties, like early eighties when I started my career. And it's like, I still love a good flow chart. Yeah. It's just, I love that way of thinking, but I also love the more expanded, more intuitive. Like, so I think I, like my dad, I think I have both. Yeah, I think so. So, okay. So you, were you, did you still have your horse while you're working? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That was the, my whole, so I've had horses continuously since I was a teenager. And so I moved out. Okay. So that was Long Island. And then I moved to, I got a big job in Princeton, New Jersey with a data center for a wall street firm. And, um, we opened up a big data center there. So they moved me there and that was beautiful because horse country. Oh my gosh. And people, people, you know, joke around about New Jersey, but New Jersey is beautiful. It's beautiful. There's really nice horse. It's called now. the garden state for. A yes. Yes. And um, I loved it. To go out and teach in white post. I think it was white post, which isn't far 202. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. A lot, There's a lot I mean, of big name people out there absolutely. too. Big yeah. country. Yeah. Big yes so but then so so actually i'll tell you how i discovered feldenkrais so then again i was good at the computer stuff and it paid well honestly it paid yeah. well but it wasn't my passion and i was on call 24 7 it was it was so it was very stressful as well and it wasn't my passion and i was really getting to a pit place in my life where i didn't want the horses just after work and on the weekends you know i wanted my whole life to be what I believed in. And I had such a mission. I kept being drawn. Like I said, I was already working hands-on, not full-time, not professionally, but doing this with my horses, my friends' horses, dogs, etc. So I, um, so while I was still working, I discovered as I, you're a big fan of Linda Tellington Jones. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I started with yeah. Her. yeah. So, so, so yeah. So I discovered her work and I'm like, Oh, there's something very, holistic about this meaning she's taking in the whole body spirit name you know the whole package of the horse not just treating something i love that approach so i remember reading something she had and it mentioned this thing called the feldenkrais method because as you know she's a feldenkrais practitioner she yeah. trained with moshe so i thought hmm i wonder what that's about and i'm still thinking about horses though and I sent away, this is when we did things by mail. It was a toll-free number. No, I, I made a phone call that we did have telephones back then. Um, and they sent me something in the mail. I remember it was on pink paper. The guild sent me a thing. And there, lo and behold, there was a practitioner in Princeton, Lawrence oh. Phillips, who's now in the, in the outside of uh, Denver. But, and I called him just out of curiosity. And let me give you a little backstory about me, Wendy. I had, I was fine. I thought I was healthy and all that, but I had really severe bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome that oh. I had surgery on one arm, which was my less affected arm, made it a million times worse. I had had a really bad hip problem since I was a teenager, like excruciating pain. I was told I was going to need a hip replacement by the time I was 35. I had neck issues. I had back pain. But I thought, well, I'm getting older. I was in my 20s. And <laughs> okay. But I mean, I was in pain. I would be like this all day, like with my arms. And I would have numb arms from here down when I woke up. I mean, it was, I was a mess. And I tried all kinds of physical therapy three times a week for months and months. 
chiropractor, acupuncture, you name it, I tried it. I hadn't heard of Feldenkrais though. So, but again, I'm still thinking about the horses. I'm not thinking, I'm fine, right? It's so classic horse person. Isn't it? It's I'm totally, so I get it. When people do it's like the I Monty Python it. skit, right? <laughs> I totally get it. So I called up Lawrence Phillips and I don't know what he said to me on the phone because I wish I knew, but I paid that $125 and came to his office. And back then that was, you know. A lot of money in the game. Yeah. And I remember lying on his table. I didn't know what he was doing really. It was very gentle. I'm like, I really wasn't sure what it was about, but I know I, I recognized it was similar to what I was doing with the horses. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to learn this and I'm going to take it to the animal world. Oh, wow. Like it was so precise, like his work was gentle, but very precise. And, you know, my hip pain didn't go away in one session, but I started actually going to him three times a week in the beginning. Yeah. And then I kind of weaned off, but that's the best way to do it, as you know. Right, right. And, you know, if you can. And it was the best investment I ever made because I, and I knew immediately this was work that I was born to do. So I, I credit him so much. He's in my dog book that I wrote. He's in another book that I'm a chapter in someone else's book. I talk about him all the time because whatever he did, it was, it was, it was magic, but it wasn't magic. It was, ba you know, it's based in it's it's Feldenkrais. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Feldenkrais. And but, just so that people yeah. know, when you have a Feldenkrais lesson, a private, it's like a private lesson is called functional integration and you're on a table, you're fully dressed. And it's a lesson because you're learning about your body and how it moves. So it's not massage. It's not um, a therapy. It really is an education. And our body is the sort of the laboratory that yes. we're going through. Yeah. I love how, you know, Moshe always said, you know, uh, movement is the first language of the brain. Oh, so yeah. It's like, yeah, it's such a great thing to remember because we do we learn we experience our world through our movement so if you can change that because what ended up happening wendy is i then became more passionate about being creative and wanting to follow my passion so before long that job my corporate career was history and i was i was i had my horse on a trailer and we moved 3,000 miles because I wanted to train with Mark Reese, who was fortunately oh, okay. passed away. Yeah. yeah. He was he, one of my trainers. He, yeah. Oh, was he one of yours too? Oh, yeah. yeah. In, in I was in Baltimore too, and he came oh, in. Oh, uh, okay. Because he was wonderful. Yeah, good friends with Mark and Carol Cress. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Carol Cress then was his or wife. With, um, David, yes. Yes, but yeah. He's, he yes, David and Mark. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Mark Reese was a wonderful trainer like amazing trainer and i knew i wanted to train with him so yeah i quit my corporate career my appaloosa and i went three thousand miles to well it was a real sacrifice but we moved to san diego oh I yeah it's a real <laughs> sacrifice but you know, it's so fascinating because um you're not the first person that had an experience with feldenkrais or something you know there's other modalities but an experience with a modality and then instantly like when i met linda tellington jones i came i was a grad student getting my ph working on my phd i never got it um but i came home and left school you know it was like wow. you know done yes with, yes yes yeah and wow so that's it is so life-changing cool. um it, and it's amazing work so okay so you went to california what year was that 92 
92. Okay. So, so I had already started before. doing the work professionally before then in when I lived in New Jersey. Right. And then I was able to get, you know, I got accepted into the program and moved out at the end of 92. Yeah. You've been in California now for 28 years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's getting, so it's getting there. To think of the 90s as 30 years ago. I know. Isn't that hard? <laughs> I know. I know. I still think of the 90s as just yesterday. I so. know, yeah. For it's, many it's of us, it was just yesterday. <laughs> it's kind of weird, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so so you've studied the Feldenkrais Method, and I know that since then you've been really bringing the work to horse people and dog people. And um, just tell us a little bit about that, and then we can okay my presentation. So uh, what's really what was really great about being so immersed in the training and the Feldenkrais training was I was already working professionally with the horses and with the dogs, right? So every time we would learn something in class, right, in, the, in our Feldenkrais class, I would have my little notebook and I would immediately, as you know, just say Mark is teaching something, there's a, there's a person on the table and he's demonstrating, you know, to do this with their arm or whatever. I would think, okay, now a horse is standing on all fours. You're not going to lie on the table. Okay, how would I translate that? How would I get that same result, that same idea, you know, with a horse who has a different relationship to gravity, standing up? So I immediately was taking everything I learned and translating it to horses. And then I would translate it to dogs who you generally can have them laying down. And then I would think, okay, from a rider point of view, you know, how would that help a rider? So I had like these different things I was doing. I wasn't just absorbing it from the point of view of a person lying on a table. Mm -hmm. That person became a horse, became a dog, became an equestrian on a horse. So I, that's how I did. It. And then because I was working as well as going to, to class, I had a great opportunity to practice everything. Right. So all my clients got the benefit of everything I would learn. So my own, and my own animals, of course, too, but it was really a great opportunity. And that's why, because a lot of, I'll be honest, Wendy, a lot of Feldies will tell me, you know, I love horses, I love dogs, whatever, but I have no idea how to translate the work. Mm -hmm. I right. think because I came into it from the other direction, maybe it, it was as, it was more natural even to do it well, with them. And it's so interesting because when I was doing my training, I was still teaching and riding. And mm -hmm. so I was working on my horses. I had, I brought them to Baltimore and put them in a stable oh, so that oh, I could go to class and go home every night and ride my horses and work. Wow. With them. So they were literally right there during the trainings. Um, but this, the, the thing that's so, I think we're so lucky as Feldenkrais practitioners working with horses is the horses are so honest about the quality of our touch. Yeah. Whereas a person on the table will go, yes. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. The horses will not go, I'm fine. They will say, no, I don't like that. Or yes, I like that. And so okay. that you're, I think that any of us that are working with horses um, have a, if you will, an even finer quality of touch because the animals give us this immediate feedback and either accept or reject, right? Um, uh, you know what, Wendy, that's such a good point because that, I mean, that is so true where a human is like being polite and not, you know, <laughs> And, and the humans also have a lot of stuff going on, like I'm supposed to like this or what is she doing or whatever, where the horses or the dog, they don't have that. So you're absolutely right. But the other thing that's helpful, and I'm sure you felt the same way, is because when you're working with a horse, you're really aware of how you're using your body. Oh, yeah. 
I remember in class, uh, Mark was, and, and he was criticized, you know, in a good way, he was teaching. So he was, he was critical of a lot of people of how they use themselves when they were giving functional integration to another person. And I remember him saying, and I don't say this to brag, but just to point out the horse connection, he said, you have an extraordinarily good use of, of, your, of yourself when you're working. And one of my uh, classmates said, that's because she works with horses. Yeah. Which was probably true because I was aware of that from day one. Right. Whereas other people had to be, you know, uh, reminded of it. Well, again, we have that immediate feedback of the, of the horse, whether we're riding or working with them on the ground. And, you know, I've had a similar kind of um, comment from Mia, uh, you know, when I, because I trained with her quite a bit, in that we need to know how to use our body to have the horse, yes. you know, be able to understand what we're asking because our body is the communication. Yes, and, yes. And so, um, you know, our use of self, and that's the thing what people have to realize when you're going through a Feldenkrais training is it's four years of learning how to use your, your own body. And that's really the key is the, the, the better I can organize myself when I'm working with yes. a client, the better the lesson's going to be for the client. And I, I'm sure you experienced in your training how as the students improve the quality of touch and the quality of the lessons that we were giving, we would give each other lessons as practice. Yes. yes. It, it changed and changed and changed. And when someone discovered how to use their pelvis, it was like just yes. magic. It, it just really shifted. Absolutely, Wendy. And what I found is that it didn't become um, like move this arm. It was like an invitation. And that's what I tell people when I'm teaching them how to do it with horses. When you use your pelvis, when you can engage your pelvis, it's an invitation to move. It's not a demand. It's not like, let's, you know, move this way. It's, would you like to move with me this way? It's so different. Yes. It's so and it's different. so obvious Absolutely. to the horses what the request Yes. yes. <laughs> that's beautiful what you said that our bodies are the, now I can't remember exactly how you said it, but. Okay, it's recorded. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go, we can just go back. But that was really beautiful and that's something for people to remember because all the time, not even just if we're doing hands-on work, but when we're riding and when we're leading our horse, you know, all of that. Right. And as horse people, in, in a lot of ways, we do have that, um, it's like a little bonus that we already are a little bit aware of that more than the regular folks, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, no, I always, I always, think of uh, myself as super lucky to be a Feldenkrais practitioner that works with riders and horses. Yes. Uh, because it, it, it's applied instantly. Yes. The, the, yes. the whole point of Feldenkrais is that we can learn how to, how to use this, this body that we have to our potential in learning new possibilities of movement. And the horses are so, my, I would go to uh, a training and I'd go for nine days and I'd come home and sit on my horse and he'd say, that's great. Now go back for nine more days. Yeah. <laughs> That's a start. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. Isn't it great? I remember one particular, oh my gosh, I remember this so clearly. I had done an ATM at home. I was in the training, but I was doing an ATM at home, awareness through movement lesson for those. It wasn't anything to do with a bank machine. Awareness <laughs> through, through movement lesson, the Feldenkrais lesson. And it sh I, I felt such a change and I went and rode my horse and suddenly my horse who had been having a little stickiness with shoulder in this and that suddenly became able to do things that we couldn't do the day before. Now, of course, all the while it was me. It wasn't my horse that had the restriction, but it was just such an instantaneous improvement that, oh, I love it. 
Love it. So yes, we're very lucky. Very, very lucky. All right, so, so now you've been in California for almost 30 years and you've been developing your techniques yes. and developing your work. Yes. So that's what you're gonna present to us today? Yes, yes, yes. So, so I'll go ahead and share my screen. Yeah. All righty, so let's see, we got, the, oops. Let's start from the beginning. Okay, so let's just go back. Okay, so this is, as you know, about using Feldenkrais to improve performance and partnership. And so in this webinar, I'd really love to show you how we can, we can truly improve equine movement and athletic ability. So by the end of this time together, I'd love to be able to show everyone a few little things they can do to improve their horse's body awareness and at the same time, deepen your connection with your horse. So these are some of the most common things I that people complain about to me about their horses, right? They tell me their horse is crooked, right? They don't bend easily to one side or maybe both. They're stiff, they're sore, they're girthy. We're gonna talk about that, that's a big one. They may be considered lazy or maybe the opposite, they're nervous or they're just resistant. These are labels people, people use, right? So we want the horse to be balanced and straight, supple, strong, sound happy to be saddled, I know that's a surprise for many of you, right? Responsive to your leg, confident and brave and willing and enthusiastic, right? Those are desired qualities. So you might be wondering, how do you get there, right? From the before to the after. Well, I wanna, this is really what I wanna get through in this, in this time together, is that you can definitely help your horse feel greater ease and ability in their body and mind, okay? And again, at the same time, deepen your partnership. That is such a big key for me, this whole idea of connecting, because I think that's why we are around horses, right? Is to get that beautiful feeling of connection, right? So this doesn't take any kind of magical power, right? You can definitely do this. Okay, so because we have to remember that intentionally or not, we're always influencing our horse's movement and behavior, okay? So the more you develop your awareness, the more you can positively influence your horse's flexibility, their coordination, and their balance. And again, the more joy and connection you'll feel when you're with your horse. So you might be saying, how can you become more aware? What, what does that even mean, right? Well, step number one, start paying attention to those small, subtle details about your horse's posture, their movement patterns, and their behavior. So we always remember, and I'm sure Wendy will, will agree with this for sure, is curiosity is one of your greatest tools, right? Being curious, like instead of like, oh, my horse doesn't do this that well. Why doesn't your horse do it? Like be curious, not critical. I call it compassionate curiosity, where you're not, you're not judging, you're just being compassionately curious. You know, Mary, have to, you mm -hmm. bring up such a good point about curiosity and I'm sure that you'll agree that unfortunately the way we're taught about riding in horses from that military background is we're taught it's got to be right or wrong and Ooh, we lose yeah. this, right? Yeah. I mean, it becomes, and I, I totally would agree with you that the, the curiosity is so important and, and yet it's the, and this is changing, which is really mm -hmm. good, but the system of that we're trained in, you know, okay, so. Yeah. I'll often ask my students, what do you do right? And That's what I, yes, yes, yes. I right? agree with go, that. Um, yes. 
uh, you know, and they'll hem and haw for five minutes. What do you do wrong? I can't sit the trot. I don't get the Canada part. It's a blah, 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 right? And we're already setting ourselves up for failure because yes. we're not looking at the things we're doing. And this is such a great point about the, being curious about the, all the things. And it's also what we want the horses to be. Exactly, exactly. And Wendy, I'm so glad you said that about what do you do right? Because I even ask them that about their horses, because again, they'll say, my horse is crooked, my horse is resistant, my horse is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what is, what's something your horse really loves to do? Now, some people will say, yeah, he loves to eat, but- That's okay. You know, that's okay. <laughs> right. But then what else does he like to do? Well, actually, he's really good at the, tr you know, extended trot or, you know, whatever they'll tell me. And I'm like, okay, we can, we can start by, by doing what's easy for the horse. And we're going to talk about that more too. Right. But I think that's so important is that it's not that it's, that there's something right or wrong and we have to kind of get away from that. And I hopefully like with all these wonderful webinars you're doing and all the work you do, people will start getting away from that and being just more compassionately curious and not judging it. Right. Why and it is doesn't it? mean we don't notice the things we have difficulty with. I think sometimes people think, well, we're just talking Pollyanna. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's not yeah. Pollyanna. It's, being, it's just making sure that we give the, the things that are going well equal time, at least right. equal time. And building on that. So we're going to talk actually about how you build on that. So you find the thing your horse does easily and you build on that rather than taking what the horse does that's, you know, that's difficult and trying to break it apart and make it better. Why don't we start with what's easy? Yep. Okay. And, and go and get to the difficult thing. Okay. And we have to remember these small things we're talking about, like changes of like noticing how your horse loads each limb that may seem small at the moment, but they become big things. Okay. They're never just small things. So just that's actually where the surefoot pads can be really helpful. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, I'm sure. Matter of fact, I'd love to talk about that later too, about using them to add variations into a session. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so step number two is to add pleasant, novel, non-habitual movements and sensations into your horse's life and your own. Okay, very Feldenkrais thing. Yeah. Because the non-habitual sensations and movements are what get the attention of the nervous system and help you start interrupting your ha the horse's habitual way of doing things and your own, which is great because when you work with horses, you get the benefit of it, as you know, Wendy. So it's pretty cool. So step three, and this is very important and something I think that a lot of people don't think about, but you want to associate the movement with ease and pleasure. It's not like just do it like the old Nike commercial, right? We want that feeling of ease and pleasure, okay? So that means we're going to go what we were just talking about, finding what's easy for your horse and building on that. And you do that by asking questions. Now, I'm not saying ask questions verbally, but you can if you want. Maybe your horse will answer. But with the hands-on work, we ask questions with our hands. So we're constantly asking questions. Right? When you're riding your whole body, like what Wendy said before about we communicate with our body, we're constantly asking questions. Can you do this easily? Is this way easier than this way? Where can we find the direction of ease? Okay, very important. So it's not we're, we're not forcing anything. We're finding the ease and the pleasure and building on that. So again, suggest and support movement. Don't insist on it. So um, when I'm working with a horse doing Feldenkrais, every session is unique, right? Even if it's the same horse that I'm working with multiple times, every session is going to be different because they're presenting differently, right? And I'm constantly asking these questions. 
How can I provide support so that the movement feels simple, light, and easy? And how should I adjust my intention, my direction, and my pressure? Right? Intention's a, a big one. So we always want to be asking questions. Right? They talk about the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your, the questions you ask. Right? So when you're with your horse, it's like you're asking questions. You're being curious. Very important. And, and I, don't you feel that those questions really keep you present? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Well, you read my mind because <laughs> what, what this slide says is these questions help you slow down and tune into your horse so that you have a true two-way kinesthetic conversation. So it becomes a true partnership because you're not just telling the horse something, you're communicating. And this is an, oh my gosh, I love this the, the most. You get that delicious feeling of connection. I mean, to me, it's, it's one of the best feelings in the world. When your nervous systems are so synced up, you and the horse, and you're just like moving as one. And I'm talking about even on the ground, not, not, not even in the saddle. It's such a delicious feeling because... I think that's something that the brain wants to recreate, that feeling of ease and of connection, okay? So- I'm probably gonna prime you here again, but the lack of expectation. Yes, yes, so, I love that. You know, when we're, when we're goal-oriented or we think we should be fixing something that so gets in the way of really being yes. the horse. Um, Wendy, thank you for saying that because you get that a lot, actually, and you probably have discovered this with, with maybe some students as well, is they assume there's an expectation, a goal, or something, or something has to be right or wrong, where it's not, it's not that way. And um, the other thing is, when I said, like, each session is unique, there is no playbook. There's no recipe. Right. Now, when I teach this, because I, I do teach this work to people, is I, I give them different moves to do with the horses. And then as they get more experience and they build up their ability to sense with their hands, right? Then they can, they can um, be a little more off the cuff, but they do, they do get a good foundation first. But once you know it, there is no recipe. There's no recipe. You, you just go by what the horse needs at that moment, okay? So, yeah, so, so people often ask me, like, how do you make a session? Like, I can't tell you how many times, Wendy, I've gotten this question lately. Like, they say, how do you even create a session for a horse? So what I generally do is I take a function, and I'm going to use the two most common ones because I get these questions a lot, is my horse is resistant to bending on one side, or my horse doesn't want to round her back, right, collect, engage the hind end, all that. So I take a function and I break it down into little pieces, okay? Then I help the horse improve each little piece so that it's easy, healthy, and pleasurable for the horse. And what do I mean by healthy? Healthy is that efficient movement where the distribution of effort, this is a big thing in the Feldenkrais world, mm -hmm. the distribution of effort is appropriate so that not, no one place is getting all the stress and strain because that's what leads to damage, right? That leads to injuries, unsoundness, et cetera. And it doesn't even feel good to the horse, okay? So it's really, really important. So we take each piece, we make it good, and then we piece by piece build it back up into a functional movement again, okay? It's really very basic. You know, you chunk it down and you kind of chunk it back up, right? And, you know, Mary... If we can go back to the previous slide for a moment, sure. I just want to make a point that there are so many horse people that think 
I want to do the best for my horse and I'm going to give him the yeah. best tack and the best, right? But they don't take care of themselves. Yes, yes, then yes. They're not really healthy to help their horse. That, I, this is why, Wendy, this, it's like, to me, we have to work with the rider. It's like, it's, it's very difficult to, um, it became finally that I don't just work with the horses because. Right. I can't. I got into the Feldenkrais work actually because. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because you were helping the horses and then you couldn't help. Yeah. You know, until I helped the people, I couldn't, I I could change one horse, but if I changed one rider, I changed every horse they had. That is so beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. And And so, sorry, but you know, there's so many barn owners and stuff and they'll sacrifice themselves. They'll work themselves endless hours. It's not sustainable. And yet they're saying that they're there to help the horses, but if they're not following this same rule of easy, yeah. healthy, pleasurable, and obviously easy means finding more efficient ways to do things. Um, right. It doesn't mean laying on the couch. You know exactly. what I mean? It's, it's not, yeah, you're, 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 you know, Moshe was a martial artist. I mean, he was, yeah. Right. But, the but it's a feeling of ease. It's a feeling right. of ease. Right. But that's the thing is so many people think, well, I'll do all this stuff for my horse, but I'll sacrifice myself. But in the end, they're not helping their horse because they still are interacting with that horse. And if I can give you a quick example of that. Yeah. There's a woman who I adore. Her name is Jay McLeod. She's up in LA. She's a dressage trainer. She is, you would love her because, you know, no gadgets, no anything. She's in her eighties now. And she has unfortunately had had many accidents, not all of them horse related, but I'm talking severe accidents. Um, But she still gets up and rides and she was an event rider. And now she specialized in dressage for many years now. And when I would, I would clinic up there a lot and I would work with, with particular horses that I could tell you, and I was a hundred percent right all the time, whether the owner had been riding the horse that week or Jane was riding the horse. Mm Because when Jane rode the horse, the horse felt so good. The back was moving, everything was, I mean, the horse was already really well organized. I mean, I was putting some, you know, fine tuning, but I always knew. And a lot of times when there were particular owners that were riding the horses, like I could feel it in the horse. I could feel it because they weren't using themselves. So to your point, it can be that obvious that I could put my hands on a horse and say, all right, Jane, you know, the owner's been out of town for a week. I can feel it in the horse, right? right. So, yeah, so it's very important. So don't think you're, you're saving, you know, doing your horse a favor if you neglect yourself. Exactly. That's the point. Yeah, that's the point. Well, yeah, and I hope everyone gets that. If anything, I would say it's probably more important that they take care of themselves because the horse will always benefit. And like you said, then many horses actually will benefit. So for sure. Yeah, yeah. We have a comment here from uh, Sarah that says, I agree riders need to work on themselves, but this seems like it should apply not only to the physical, but also mental, emotional, like you were mentioning, having a lack of expectation, being present rather than having an agenda that drives everything. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, 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 and I absolutely agree with that, which is another reason why I became an NLP practitioner as well as a Feldenkrais. Oh, wow. yeah. So because, and, and Feldenkrais helps with the mind too, but NLP has some really specific t- techniques that help with your mental habits as yeah. well. And, and I find it really effective. Yeah. Um, um, someone else is commenting that this is uh, an important point, but the same applies to nutrition. I totally agree. Uh, 
Absolutely. Nutritional therapists have thought about this too, that many people focus on their horse's diet, but not their own. And uh, we, yeah, I'm, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. When, you'll laugh at this. I see, oh my goodness. So, you know, I'm also in the dog world and there's, um, I've been feeding my dogs raw for 20, like before it was cool to feed raw because I happen to know a woman named Kimothy Schultz back in the day before she was famous. And she got me into the whole raw thing many, many, you know, decades ago. And it's so funny how so many people would go out and buy the organic best dog food, you know, the best of the best of the best for their dogs. And they would sit there and be eating McDonald's, literally going to McDonald's for dinner. And I would think, okay, what's wrong with this picture? Because to me, and now this is becoming a thing, is this um, term called One Health, where oh. it's, yeah, I love it. I, I just read about that in the Whole Dog Journal where they're talking more about this, where it's the whole ecosystem. In other words, your whole family, your dogs, your cats, your horses, and yourself have like an ecology, if you will. And it's all about One Health. So yes, absolutely, um, the, the nutrition, the movement, all of those things, we all have to do it for ourselves as well as our animals, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So then we talk about, we build it back up into a movement. And along the way, what we do is we use the supportive contact. We use very gentle, non-habitual movements to stimulate learning because it's what Wendy said earlier. Feldenkrais method is not a therapy. It's actually like, it's an educational um, system, if you will. So we use novel sensations to get the attention of the nervous system, and we use variations to help the horse integrate the learning. This is where your sure foot really comes into play. Now, um, you know a practitioner named Leah Astrup. Oh, she's Leah. great. Yep. She is beyond great, and she, you're going to see her in a second. Oh, um, she is Oh, we've been working together for about 10 years and she does a lot with Surefoot. And it's so wonderful to really bring that in to give the horse other sensations because that's what helps the horse integrate and keep the learning. You know, it just brings more to the table. So, okay, so here we also, we talked earlier about constraints, right? So we use creative constraints that encourage the horse to discover new ways to move and feel. So this is just a little video clip of Lee and I working together using constraints to help a horse move more freely through his back. Now I wanna just set up the, the situation here. This was a horse that when I started the session, this is just a little brief at the end of the session, what we did, but the whole session, you know, in the beginning of the session, he was very restricted through his back and his rib cage. And his owner had her, her complaint, if you will, was that, you know, he doesn't round his back easily. He doesn't engage his hind end. You know, he was missing that piece. Very lovely, lovely horse and a very lovely rider as well. Very educated and all that. But you'll see what Leah and I do to set up this, the environment for the horse so he can figure out what to do. Okay, so let's go ahead and do that. So, uh, so this is a, a great way to help a horse connect. That's Leah's hand on the, on the horse's pelvis so what there. What I'm doing is I'm starting off by just very gently, just giving a little movement through the sternum for him to, to, to feel the movement in his back. I've had that, Leah, why don't we start from the beginning? So we're just going to see, and I'm just going to move for a second. So we're just going to let him organize. Now watch this. I don't know if you can see that. 
Oh yeah, you can see it going all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so pay attention. I, I hope everyone can see that because my hand is really light on his sternum because he's now, after having a whole session, he's so well organized that the tiniest amount of pressure, he, it goes right into him rounding his, his lower back, okay? So, so, and you'll see how it gets better as we go along. And this was a horse that couldn't move his back when we started. And watch that. His whole rib cage changes. Yep. And his whole balance just there, he shifts his entire balance. Yes, yeah. So watch what Leah does now. She has her arm across the horse's pelvis. So she's... And so she's basically creating a constraint with... Yes, yes, yes. Right? She's so stopping the movement from exactly. going all the way through. Yes. Interesting little person. And you'll see how it, 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 it develops even more if you look well, closely. Well, the whole neck just let go. Yes. So now she's not, you know, now she lightened her touch. I asked her to, you see that? See yeah. that now? Wow. Yeah. And you'll see right behind the shoulder blades that the withers have changed. Well, and there's increased relaxation as well. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, we kind of noticed that. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that, yeah. So, so and we're going to do just a couple more variations. Well, and the thing for people to realize why this is so important is that if the horse moves his legs, then he's not going to be changing his body. It, oh, wow. That was amazing. Yeah, was see that? Did you yeah. see that? See, and I get so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the horse needs to know how to live. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Really see awesome. what he's doing? Yeah. 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 So now we're there. Look at that. Look at that. Look at the difference in that horse. Yeah. So, and the amount yeah. of pressure that Leah is is uh, exerting is really small. I want people exactly. to realize she's not forcing the horse to stay still. It's, it's right. A lot of a suggestion, if I will, if if you don't mind me taking over here, it's a no. Suggestion. Please do. Yeah. It's so a suggestion. Right. So constraints put a put a limit on us. Um, so that we can find another possibility of movement. So if yes. the horse moved from your hand on the sternum and moved his feet, he wouldn't be changing the middle of his body. And so right. that yes. hand on his pelvis allowed him to figure out how to move the midsection and then yes. he could do it on his own. Right. And yes, because then when she took her hand away, he's, he's doing it. But also, even if he would have stayed where he was without moving his feet, the constraint on the pelvis doesn't allow the, the the mechanical energy if you will to go out the pelvis right she she just by very gently having her arm there she created that constraint so now it had to go somewhere else right so even if he even if your horse is not and by the way this there's just to be clear this wasn't meant as like okay go home and do this now with your own horses i'm using very very so is leah very particular ways of connecting with the horse here uh, what we can so, see is these are two trained professionals on a closed yes. track. Do not try yes. this at home. Yes. <laughs> now, if you happen to live in Michigan, where Leah is from, look her up. Um, she's awesome. But yeah, and she, she can help you learn how to do that. So, okay. Because it would be really, really easy to apply too much pressure or to, yes. again, be so focused on the goal that you miss 
the process. And as you said, this is at the end of the session with this verse, so that he's been um, prepared yes. for this in context, as opposed to just going for the goal. Absolutely. I had a bad experience um, a number of years ago where I had written an article for a magazine and I was describing my ischium wave where you put very gentle pressure through the, through the ischium, through the horse, and I described the whole thing. And somebody who, who had a, uh, uh, she was a publisher, she put something online, she created her own video that was horrendous where she was using all this force and basically pushing the horse. And it was really awful. And she had a completely misunderstanding, you know, she was misunderstanding the yeah. nature of the work. So, and I find that a lot, people use way too much pressure with horses. So when in doubt, I tell people do a 10th of what you're doing. Right. Usually. And it, usually it then you're on. Because we, uh, we tend to think of them as a large animal and therefore needing more exertion from us. Right. And really, and this is true in the riding too, that, you know, it just, you know, if you haven't sweated in your lesson, if you hadn't right. worked, worked really, I lost a job once because my lesson was not sweaty enough for the, you know, <laughs> if you will, you know, they didn't work hard yeah. enough. They and didn't so, understand. Yeah. Right. And it was like, okay, fine. But the thing is, the, the whole purpose is to educate the horse so that he can figure out how to use his body. And in the rider's position is to ask and allow the horse to be our movement. Right. right. Yes. Yes. That's so beautiful how you say that, Wendy. That, that is it. Yes. Yes. And we're so fortunate that they, that they you know, play with us this right. way. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's so light. And I think that's one thing that I have discovered when people start learning how to do this with their own horses, with the hands-on work, and I can coach them, or Leah can coach them, she also teaches this, is that you can be really light, and they realize then, I don't need to be so forceful in the saddle either. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really, really important stuff. So okay, so I'm just saying, you know, how, see how different this is than forcing a horse, trying to use a gadget or something, and getting a horse to to try to do it and hope that they improve, right? Most of the time, they're going to end up with really damaging compensations along the way, mentally and physically. You know, we have to think about the mental aspect, too, of what we do with the horses. You know, this so, goes so well with the webinar I did yesterday with Dr. Madeline Ward, who talked about, I don't oh, know. Oh, I love Dr. Ward. Yeah, yes, we talked about yes. five element theory and how different um, uh, traits, right, um, require different levels of sensitivity yes. when working with them, whether it's an earth horse or whatever. And I think the same thing here is that we have to be able to tune our body and our, our intention to the nature of that individual because what is, it's just like people, what could yes. be really pleasant for one horse could be super upsetting for another. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a really, really good point, Wendy, because one of the things as Feldenkrais people, we know that safety, the feeling of safety is so important. So when I say easy and pleasurable, that encompasses this feeling of safety, right? So for example, if you said to me, Mary, do a backbend, that wouldn't bother me. I, I could do it easily. Other people, the thought of having their, their head in that position would not be safe, okay? Right. So you could, for like, say you go to a class and everybody's doing one, you might feel some pressure to do it and you might get there, you might do it, but your body wouldn't feel safe doing it if you hadn't broken it down and really learned how each piece of that right. could feel easy and safe. And it's the same thing with the horses. You can kind of get the horse 
to do certain things. But if you haven't, you know, really gotten it in a way that it's healthy and safe, the nervous system will reject it. And they'll, be, they'll develop compensations and they won't do it willingly. When you do things that are healthy and safe, the horse wants to recreate it. Yeah. So what, what, yeah. So anyway, so, so one great way to connect with the horse, you know, um, to begin to help the horse is to connect on a physical and emotional level, right? Just like you were saying. So you do that. I find the best way to do that is to meet a need. And I'll quickly tell you a story about this horse. So she came to a clinic. You see, she's a lovely horse, relaxed. Your eyes are closed. She did not show up that way. Mm. She was kicking like crazy if anyone tried to touch her. And I mean, you know, ears pinned. She was serious. She was going to hurt you. And what I thought like, hmm, okay, this is going to be interesting. How can I connect with her? Like where, because, you know, I, I could look at her and think, okay, where can I put my hands so that it gives her an immediate feeling of relief? Immediate. Where can I relieve some of the effort that she's doing? And I was able to do that. And all of a sudden she melted and she became a sweetheart and, and people could work with her, but I had to make that connection first. And I was very careful. I don't want to get kicked. So I'm not saying go do this with every horse that's kicking, but I had to find that open door where I knew I could give her an immediate sensation that was going to feel like relief to her. That's really, really important. And that was, I was meeting a need that she had. So that's how I made that connection. Okay. So here's another video. I think because I don't know how much time you want to take looking at video, um, Wendy, That's fine. but we can certainly get started if I need to kind of rush through. It's like four minutes, but this is, I think is a really good point is here was a mare, lovely, lovely uh, horse, lovely rider, very educated, skilled, but she was stiff, especially on the left side, wasn't, wasn't bending, wouldn't yield to the leg, all those things. She ended up and you'll see what happens in this. And this is just a brief part of a session, but I set it up so that the horse would learn that bending felt good and she would do it on her own. So this actually, this clip doesn't have sound. There's no audio. So I can just kind of talk through what I'm doing. What I'm doing there is I have one hand, you can see on the lower rib cage, my right arm is over the horse so that I'm moving her right side of her rib cage. She's looking and chewing. I'm finding her unique ways of moving her ribs, okay, of her, her whole rib cage, her sternum, everything, right? I'm finding that path of least resistance. And when I do that, it feels good to her because it means that the effort she was using with her muscles gets a chance to release, to let go. So suddenly now my hands are doing the work. And I'm going to say not just my hands. You'll see, and, and it'll become more obvious later. I'm actually using my rib cage to work with the horse. I do this a lot. So I say it's a hands-on method. There's actually, it's, it's different parts of your body. It's a body. <laughs> it's back to your point about we use our whole body, right? To communicate. Yeah. And because they're so like a Feldenkrais lesson for a person, you can pretty much get from head to foot. But yes. The horse being so long, having a second pair of trained hands is super helpful. Yes. In many cases. Yes. Um, Very so important. So the thing that you're bringing up, and this is such a classic Feldenkrais tenant, is instead of insisting right away to go somewhere else, you figure out what is this individual 
doing in their movement? Where are they going? What yes. are they doing to take over the work so that the nervous system can calm down? Absolutely. That is the key thing. Yes, that was beautifully said. And you'll start to see the relief in the mayor's expression. So see my notes here, you know, as I added more support from my own ribs, right? So now she can start to associate pleasure and relaxed readiness with my contact. So what I was getting at for her was not only to be able to do the movement, but to be able to do it in relation to say the rider's leg, because then this could transfer then when the, the rider gets in the saddle. So it's like, how does she get a sense of ease and pleasure from the ask, if you will, from the suggestion? And it's, a, it's um, again, what you're doing is you're, you're gradually coming in and following what she's able to do, not insisting yes. that she do more than she can. And I think that this is so hard for people to understand in that, you know, we're so busy trying to make it change. And this is my experience with physical therapy. I went for a very long time to a physical therapist to solve mm -hmm. my vertigo that I had for years. And, you know, they were just, it was not helpful because they weren't actually showing my body how to do it. But three sessions with my trainer in two days and it was 90% gone. Wow. Because, yeah. Yeah. Because wow. it was yeah. asking and following instead of saying, this is how you're going to be better. Yes. And I think this is so important. And you know, the other thing I want to say, Mary, while we're watching this video yes, yes, yes. is that, you know, Sharon Wilsey's horse speak so fits in with what you're doing because you're constantly reading the horse, whether you know it or not. Yeah, and that's the yeah, problem yeah. is most of us that are good at this don't realize it. We're reading the horse's expression. Mm -hmm. and yes, yes. Follow that. Yes. And that's where her work is such a good. That's wonderful. Yes. I've heard. People, yeah. And so there's a question that somebody's brought up. It's that um, she said, uh, what was it? Um, this person has trouble with her mayor because she, uh, you know, there isn't a place like she can't touch her on the sternum and she can't touch her on the chest. She tries to bite and she won't let her ride her anymore. And so they were asking about your hand on the chest, but in my opinion, and is that that's, you've got to find somewhere else. Yes. Is something the horse. And, and, and actually, um, yeah. So, so, so can I get to that in one second? Because Absolutely. what I, what I want to point out, this is going to end in, in a second. Yeah, Watch yeah. the horse bend around me. Do you see that? Think of how different that this is exactly to what you were saying, Wendy. When you ask, like, just say, oh, she's stiff to the left. Well, we'll kind of make her go that way, right? Or we'll, we'll give her a treat. We'll, we'll kind of coerce her to go that way, whether with force or whatever, right? Here, I set it up so she wants to bend. Can you she do me a favor and just yes. go to the very beginning of the video and then to that point so that they can see the before Oops. and after? Um, okay, so... So that's the beginning and then... And just look, yeah, absolutely. And you can see you that in see. the beginning, then the neck is really stiff and straight. The body's really held. And then this beautiful softness in the way the neck is draped yes, and down then and around. Off. Yes. And it's not from the head. It's not it's from the head. That's it. That's Thank you right. for saying that, Wendy. I, it's not from the head. And this is why... So getting back to the, the person with the horse whose sternum couldn't be touched. Um, okay, so... It happens a lot. First of all, the sternum is a place that a lot of horses are protective in that area. So you have to be very, very careful. So even though my uh, 
experience from more than 30 years of doing this is that horses end up loving, loving, loving the work with the sternum and the ribs and all that. Some horses in the beginning don't like it. It's too threatening or they're too tight, whatever. They're also, and you may have ex experienced this with humans, Wendy, when um, the little, you know, the, 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 um, in, the connection of the costal cartilage to the sternum, if it hasn't moved in a while, it can be quite sore. So when people Bibs first are start- so funny. Yes. Yeah. So, so you do have to be careful. But what I would say is just what Wendy said, there's other open doors on the horse. So you can affect the sternum by doing things on the side of the rib cage, for example, that will start to get that, that move on, right? I, mean, I've, I don't I've know where this person- many ribs, So I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and, <laughs> but then also the horse might be open to having something between your hand. I wouldn't go to the sternum at this point with that particular horse, right. but I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I was um, working with a horse, uh, a Morgan, beautiful Morgan. He had a chronic suspensory ligament injury. There are a lot of those and I've worked with a lot of them. And what I noticed was like a lot of them, I really wanted to work with his ribs and sternum because I knew it would help resolve the problem. Yeah. It, like it's incredible how it does. And I'll, I can explain why. But this horse was not letting me go near his sternum or his ribs. Mm -mm, not happening, not happening. So what I always do is I look or I think, okay, what can I put between my hand and the horse? Because a lot of times that'll work. Even a, a towel or a piece of fleece or whatever can work or, or stroke them with a, with a whip or whatever can, can help bring that awareness. But there was a lunge line lying on the ground. And I thought, hmm, all right, let me see what I can do with this. So I asked the owner, you know, what do you think? And she's like, oh, he'll be fine with it. And um, I, I made sure he was fine, you know, that he would be okay with it. And I wrapped it around his barrel. And it was magic. He was like, this is the best day of my life. He just went from, don't touch my ribs, don't touch my ribs, you can't go near my stern or anything, to this feels so good. And what was so super was I could use it in very particular ways. Now I had, I wrapped it around him. I'll, I'll show you a picture later. I had, I had access to his entire rib cage that way, you know, if I move it. And I can influence the sternum, you know, everything, his weight, you know, his limb loading, all this cool stuff. And he had no objection to it whatsoever. And then I actually could sneak my fingers in and start giving him that and being, you know, even more specific with my hands. But from that horse led me, and this was many years ago, to develop what I call my rib rope, where I started playing with different ropes and different things. Um, and I do it with, with humans as well. So it works with animals, it works with humans, but it's a really powerful way of, for example, freeing the neck freeing people a gal just told me the other day she goes mary i did my rib rope and my hip problem went away so it's it's such an important piece but that is one thing that um you'll, you'll see information about it later but if that gal wants to try doing something like that with her horse first would be better than going and right touching the sternum unless she has help from somebody who's really skilled in this well but, and it get the it, um i just want to asked that when you had that lunch line, when you said wrapped around, it was still open to you, right? You had the two ends of it. So it yes, was, yes, yes. Oh, I wasn't tied. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I because wasn't that's tied. Different. You know, some people yes. think, well, if they rope the horse, like, no, right? Yeah. So I just want to clarify that. But oh, the other thank thing you. Is I, that didn't... 
<laughs> yeah, just I have to think about all the disciplines. Thank you. But the other thing is you can be at a distance. So you can yes. still come to the horse's yes. face and, and not yes. be eating and at the same time offer something that may feel good. Yes. And as a matter of fact, with the ropes, it's really cool because you saw the video I did with Leah. Um, if I don't have Leah, because I don't get to have Leah unless I'm in Michigan, unfortunately, um, I will use ropes, in other words, so I can put some awareness on the pelvis. I'll have a rope, open, not tied or anything, but wrapped around the pelvis, for example, around the ischial tuberosities, and I'm holding that with one hand and then working with the horse's sternum or chest or something with the other, and sometimes I'll have two ropes, one on the front, one on the back, or just one in my hand, or I, I do all different combinations depending on the situation, but that's another way. To have someone skilled like Leah, of course, is great, yeah. but, but if you're lacking that, um, there are other things, but you're right. The ropes allow you some distance as well, so And obviously sure. the pressure is is it's not about pressure it's about contact right. yes 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 so it's bringing that awareness and just that little bit of a of an idea of a constraint okay so someone's so, asking is it is it similar to the body wraps that the t-touch people use okay so good question i think the body rope uh, body wraps excuse me are excellent it's not the same thing the body wraps i my understanding is they're more elastic i know she i know there's ropes too you can use but that's an, more of an elastic feel. So it doesn't have, it's great and it, it does wonderful things, but it doesn't have the specificity of the rope. And I actually spent a lot of time experimenting to get the right kind of rope that would give the right amount, have the right amount of life in it to, to be able to very specifically give information to the horse, sensory information. So the wraps are great. They bring awareness. They help the horse use himself better. But they, to me anyway, and, and you may debate this, Wendy, they don't have the specificity of a rope. Yeah, what I would say is they're similar but different. And so every, every piece of equipment and the way and the intention is going to change the way that piece of equipment yes. works and what we're doing with it. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly use the wrap this way, but again, you won't, I mean, try it on yourself. You know, you won't have the specificity with, um, with, a, with an ace bandage that you would with, here, I'm going to grab, this is a rib rope I use with humans, right? So it's a thin, you know, it's very specific, okay? I guess we just replayed that uh, video. Yeah. This is another one. I don't know if, if, if you want to see the whole thing, but again, I'm using my hands now to very specifically move the horse's rib cage in the way that's easy for her. And now what's great is her range of what's easy has expanded unbelievably. Okay. Where at first I had a tiny little bit of ease. Now I'm getting much bigger range of what is easy for this horse. Okay. So I don't know if you want to watch all of this. Um, well, and the and I, um, is it fair to say that, uh, like the rib rope and what you're doing there with your hands is a bit more specific, and you're maintaining that uh, connection long enough for this horse to start actually becoming aware of where you are specifically showing her. In other words, what part yes. of her body you're actually having a conversation with, and so you know it's so. Uh, interesting to see you walk off with her because the, it's so important that some of these yes. things translate to movement. That's, and that's exactly what I'll say right now. 
that it's so important to bring it into movement. It's one thing to do it when the horse is just standing around in the grooming area, right? But to, to actually bring it into something functional. Now look at our rib cage now. Yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the questions that I can imagine someone might ask is how does what you're doing differ from the Masterson method? I don't know the Masterson method. Oh, okay. I've heard of it, of course, and I've heard wonderful things about it. Right. Um, I don't. I don't know it though. I haven't studied it. Have you studied it? Do you? I, I haven't actually. I've had guests on that talk about masters. Oh, okay. So I, you know, I think if I were, will, one of the differences for me with the Feldenkrais work is that we're we're taking the horses into movement. Okay. And, um, I I. I don't know enough about Masterson, but it seems to me that a lot of it is done standing as okay. opposed to taking it into movement. And okay. um, I need to have my, my uh, Becky come back and talk to us more about the Masterson method because I'm curious. Yeah, I've always uh, heard good things about it. So, yeah. yeah. And so, I, yeah. again, I would say it's, there are similarities and differences. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, again, I don't feel like I'm educated enough to, to say what's different about it. Um, okay, so let's see. So this is just a, a quickie where I'm showing how, again, same mare, same session, that you see me working with the ribs, but then I have my other hand on her pelvis. So now we're bringing more of her into the movement, right? So we're, we're creating that functional movement. We've broken it down. Now we're building it back up. And you see here, I actually bring her pelvis to the side as I very specifically move those ribs and i say specifically for her what she needs and again her range of what's easy and available has grown substantially and then i bring and and so okay so this and i'm just going to talk people can watch but i'll talk i see so many people do things um improperly they mean well they'll do something like um a back lift where they they press hard on the horse you know at the chest to get the back to come up, right? You've seen that, I'm sure, Wendy. And sometimes people do that in a very poor way. And I mean, it's a way that the horse doesn't feel safe. They may do it because it, it, it gets a reflex to happen, but it's not a functional, safe movement, perhaps, for that horse. Depends how you do it. So look at the difference now between how in the Feldenkrais work, we set up the whole environment so the horse now can soften her back. And you see, I have one hand underneath, one hand on top, uh, and now I'm gonna take it into, look what she does with her leg, because this is all related to her issue with her left hind leg. All that work you know, with her rib cage is, is affecting the leg. So you'll see how I start to bring it into softening the back and then walking off with her like that. So she feels it and look at her yawning and all that. So if you take a horse that there's no preparation and you just ask them to do this, I've seen people use hoof picks and different things to get the horse to, to raise their back, that can actually have very detrimental effects on the horse. And their nervous system could be saying, we don't like that. That actually doesn't feel safe to us. It doesn't feel good. I don't want to do that again. Whereas something like this, we're always working within this ease and pleasure. So the brain wants to recreate it. And then eventually this is done with tack on, with the rider up, all of those things. So not only in movement, but with the added pieces of tack and, and rider, et cetera. But, but yeah, in, in a second here, I'm going to be walking off with her like this. 
um, and see how soft her back is. And so much, you know, again, it's like, because someone looking at this might go, well, I've seen similar hand positions like this with other techniques, but again, it goes back to, you know, the intention and where the focus is. And I always think of it's like focusing a lens on, on a different aspect. In this case, it's then taking it into movement and giving her that feeling of her back up in movement and, you know, integrating, like differentiating, just like a classic felt. Yes, 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 yes. Differentiating and then integrating into function, function here being walking. Yes, yes, yes. And eventually this would lead to, um, like I said, actually tacking her up and being ridden. And, and that's why I love working with the horses with, and just, and Wendy knows this already, but other people may not. Moshe Feldenkrais, the man who originated the Feldenkrais method, he originally worked with people in their undergarments. And what he discovered was they would put their habits back on when they put their street clothes back on. And he's like, hmm, that's not good. So he started working people with people fully clothed, which is what we do. And that's how I, you know, with the horses, I generally work with them untacked at first, but then add the pieces of tack because you can add a bridle, just say no saddle or anything. You can add a bridle and the movement through the horse's back will completely change. I've had that many times. The horse will just completely stop moving through the back. The, the, The rib cage will stiffen even without picking up the rein. And I do all things where I integrate that into the session so that they can feel, oh, I can be free and I could move while it's I have tack so on. It's really cool. Because, you know, I, 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 the way I refer to it is, what do you like when you visit your mother and what do you like when you visit your friends? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and having, you know, if you're in the barn and somebody comes to give you a massage and it feels wonderful, uh-huh. and then you you know, put your tack on and go in the arena where whatever had occurred and suddenly you're a different Or Yeah, the habits come up associated with that. So that's what we're, uh, you know, as with Feldenkrais, we're always thinking about what habitual patterns are they bringing to the table. And so they will have habit, horses will have habits about how they're, you know, how they feel when they have their tack on, when their rider's on, when they're in the arena as opposed to the trail. Oh, I've had some wonderful students, Wendy, and I'm sure you have too. Students that are so good that they will get off when they're on trail, for example, and do the work I've shown them on their horse to bring the horse back to a place of softness, then get back on their horse. Or the horses that are kind of funny in the arena will get off, do it, get back on, and keep changing those associations so that they're helping their horse to the the maximum yeah really, you can have yeah. people take their surefoot pads with them out on trail oh that's awesome <laughs> oh wow that is really good okay they have to bring like a little bag or something for that. That, yeah oh backpack of course of course oh that's awesome so um so yeah so just uh, we'll quickly run through these why it's so important to improve the mobility of the rib cage is it can help heal or prevent a ligament or you know tendon injury to your horse's leg Okay, you know, a horse may be doing asymmetrical limb loading. I write about this a lot because I've worked with so many where they're actually loading the damaged limb more. And so they may get off of it when they're trotting, but their habit, their whole body is organized to be more over that leg. Okay, and this is a place where the rib rope has been very helpful for me as well as is supporting what they do and then helping give them other options so they don't have to do that. Um, Again, you know, the sternum and the ribs are so important. They're vital 
for the horse to be able to round the back and engage the hind end. If there's no movement there, you're, you're really fighting an uphill battle and it's damaging for the horse. It's not gonna be easy. Girthiness. I always say, if you told me I could only have one thing I could help horses with, like one thing, that's all you're allowed, Mary, I would say I would make saddling up pleasurable for the horse. So I, I, I do this with so many horses that they go from being wanting to bite and kick or, or even those subtle ways that they're just tensing their muscles and people call it blowing up. What a way mentally and physically, you know, how do you start a ride like that? Like that to me, people just tie the horse or they're careful not to get kicked. And instead you can use these hands-on movements. You can work with the rib cage so the horse is loving it and you can do it as you're tacking them up. So I have a whole thing I, I go into with that because it's so valuable. And you know what I love? I have some great people and so does Leah where, and Leah had sent me pictures one day of these little kids tacking up their horses while rock, doing, what do they call the girth rock or something where the horses are just so happy and the little tiny girls are doing this wonderful work with the horse's sternum and ribs. So the horses are happy while they're tightening the girth so precious anyway there is a way to do it that the horse actually not only just enjoys being saddled but it actually prepares them for for better functional movement okay so, so, it's so mary is there one thing that we could give our audience that they could yes. do um like like that they could do without any equipment without anything special that they could go and experiment to to make their horses more comfortable to yeah you. Yes, as a matter of fact, I have a clip. It's like, it's three minutes. So I'm gonna just run through these quickly. I just wanted to have, just so people, some people don't know what the rib cage really looks like. So this is a nice drawing where you don't have the shoulder blade in the way. Uh, here I'm holding an actual sternum. Oh, you gotta stay here ribs. for a second. This is awesome. I want people to realize where that, that uh, can you take your pointer and point out the girth groove? <laughs> well, oh, oh, so you're saying back yeah, here? Right there. Yeah, That's yeah. And, and I want people to see that it is a definite curve in the structure, and that's the only place their girth is going to go in the end, no matter where they try to put it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, and this is a, just an amazing picture, Mary. I love this. And that's my pony in the background, by the way. That's my so boy, Breeze. But, um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah but, but people, I want people to appreciate the shape of the sternum. Yeah. And, and I'm going to show you an interior view in a second, but how it's like a knife edge and it actually lends itself very nicely to us working with it. Again, very gently and you really need to be trained before you start playing around. So here is the interior of that specimen. And this horse was a little cockeyed. You always see pathology. I have a ton of different skeletal specimens, including an entire pony, which my dog, I came home one day to her chewing on him. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> You can see the costal cartilage, you know, it attaches you point to that out with your pointer. Yes, yes. So, so all of this is cartilage and then it attaches to the bone. This is the rib bone, but see how it attaches here to the sternum. So you can see where the sternum flattens out here. So it's pretty cool, isn't it? Right. And if you think about tightening your girth around that structure and over tightening your girth, that's going to put a lot of pressure on those areas. You know, I read, a, I read about a study. Unfortunately, I couldn't find the actual study, but I read this in more than one place where someone did a study. Unfortunately, I can't cite it. Where I guess they did um, necropsies of youngish horses and they found that an unbelievable percentage of them had evidence of hairline fractures of mm -hmm. the 
of the costal cartilage. So of these, these areas, they actually had fractures. And when you think about all the horses, the way they're started, the way, you know, we, we, we um, you know, tighten the girth, we don't pay attention to when they're in pain, you know, it's not like a lameness the same way like a, you know, a leg lameness would be. And anyway, I thought that was a really sad statistic. So I'm, this is one of my big passions is making saddling, um, you know, doing it with awareness and doing it in a way that's healthy for the horse and pleasurable for the horse. Right. So here's just a front view of it. You can see again, just, it's like a boat, right? Like a, like a boat. Yeah. It's great. Great pictures. Okay. So these are, I'll just go through these quickly. It just shows how I'm like, I, I start, you know, sometimes with a set, just a saddle pad doing the same thing. I added the saddle. I wouldn't recommend you do that without a girth, but I did. Um, now here is with the rider up. So again, we want to take this into something functional. So I want that horse, this is the same horse from the previous videos, to feel that, wow, I can still move these places when my rider is in the saddle. And then I could even walk around with the horse, you know, so there's all different ways of doing that. And that's where you were talking about body wraps before. Having a body wrap also can just be another little reminder for the horse. So all these things just work really well together. Okay, so, here, so here's what you were asking for, actually, Wendy. We're gonna learn how to do what I call rib accordions. It's what looks like a basic movement, but this can be incredibly helpful in improving your horse with no equipment. And in three minutes, you, you can learn this. So here, I'm just gonna walk you through that, if that's okay. Yeah, I think that's awesome. This is important. The movement comes from your chest, not your hands. Yeah, can you just, the audio is a little low. Maybe you can talk us through this. Okay, yeah. So, so, and I don't know how I can change the audio. Oh, I can shut off the audio. You can shut off the audio. And yeah, talk I'll shut off yeah. the audio and just let it go. So I'm very, so I ha even though I have my hands like that, I often actually do it with the palms of my hands. I'm thinking about bringing my arms together from my chest and then releasing from my chest so that my hands and arms are soft. Goes back to we want to invite movement, we don't want to force movement, okay? So what I'm doing is I'm feeling, so I'm asking questions. I'm saying, hmm, can these ribs come together over here? I'm not, I'm not forcing, I'm just saying, can they? And you see, I'm moving my hands to different parts of the rib cage so that you know the horse can feel all these different places and also that I can feel where she goes, because well, I'll give you a little backstory on this lovely horse. She was having some issues um, when she was turning, I believe, especially to the right, that her, her back would really tense up. So you would feel it. And again, this is where we go back to being curious. Um, so I wanted to help her feel that as she's turning, because her head is unfortunately out of the video, but at some point she starts actually turning her head, just like the other horse did, right, towards me. And then I really go with that and I actually help her associate now when you turn your head, if you can keep your back soft and bring your ribs together here, it's going to be a easier movement, okay? So you're just gently bringing the ribs together and now I start taking them apart a little bit. But the crucial thing, and on the next slide, I have the questions you ask, is you're always asking for, is this easy? Is this easy? Where, how can I make this a little easier? So and you move to different places on each side, and it's always a question. It's a very simple movement, but it can be 
really transformational to the horse and you can really play with it. For example, I can then ask her handler to turn her head the other way. And I could do two things. I could do it almost like a little challenge in Feldenkrais where we then bring, we do the, the counterintuitive thing where I bring the ribs together, even though her head's going away, right? Give her a little challenge. It makes it then easier. Or I can do the symmetrical movement. But basically what you're doing, I call it accordions, rib accordions, because it's like an accordion, right? They come together and they go apart. But the and so Mary, is it fair to say that, you know, because it's so hard to judge from watching a video, but that you're not going to the maximum that this horse can do. You're absolutely yes. just going what, yes. again, what's easier because so many people think, well, if I go all the way as far as they can go, it's going to get better. But that doesn't necessarily work out because now the nervous system experiences the limit as opposed to- Exactly, that's exactly, thank you so much for saying it. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Now you're having the nervous system feel the limitation. Like this is my maximum, oops. You know, you don't want that. You always want to to, um, stay within the range of comfort. And the thing is we have to remember in this work, what sets it apart I think from so many other modalities is you're really working with the idea of how the horse initiates movement. So for example, with the bending, with these ribs coming together, what I don't need to, to know the limit, right? That's not helpful to me. That's not where you change movement. You change movement when you initiate it, right? You don't change it at the other end. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so you want to stay small. So thank you for saying that, Wendy. That's really, really helpful. Well, and we could even practice small. this on ourselves, couldn't we? Just- Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Going, Wait a second. I can do rib Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So bring your own ribs and you'll find, I will bet, nine and a half out of 10 of you will find that one side will be easier to bring the ribs together than yeah. the other. So if you really tune in and you may find it's really different on different places on the rib cage, of course, and also due to our anatomy, right? There's different levels of, you know, different um, degrees of, of movement in different places, of course, but you'll find, you know, okay, maybe it's easy there. Maybe it's even easier here or whatever, but yes, do it with yourself. It's all of this stuff. Oh, someone's asking, is your focus on the ribs or the intercostals or both? Okay. Good question. Um, so when I work even, so, so I would say it's, it's really both, but I'm, I'm connecting with the horse's skeleton. And even when I directly work with soft tissue, if I'm doing things where I'm actually working just with soft tissue, I'm always doing it in relation to the skeleton. So when I'm working with a horse, I'm always hallucinating the skeleton. It's always like thinking about how the I'm connecting with the nervous system and hallucinating the skeleton. So the, the intercostals will change the tonus because of what you're doing with supporting the movement of the ribs and the brain gets a signal to let things go, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you definitely want to just do light, easy movements, but all of the work I teach, I have people basically do awareness through movement, and then even hands-on on themselves. So they feel it before they, and then work with each other as partners before they do it with a horse, you know, because it's much lighter, just like Wendy said earlier, much lighter than you expect. You might think you have to use a lot of pressure. You won't feel, literally, you won't feel that much if you use a lot of pressure. You'll just feel force. You'll feel effort and your horse will just feel force. Mm-hmm. So you want to be very, very light, okay? 
Okay, so does that that give us something we can we can play with there? Yeah, no, I think that's great because it's. I always like to if there's if it's possible for the guests to have something that they can go out and experience a little bit of because I think that's then it really brings it home. Absolutely, and you'll have the replay up so they can come back back. Oh, and absolutely, watch that as we well. A, okay. Yep, Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. In fact, somebody was just asking, and they okay. all go up on the on the YouTube channel. Awesome. So um, let me just go. Okay, so so these are just some questions that they can look at, you know, when they do it, you know, how can you do the rib accordions to learn more about your horse, right? Can you slow down and really listen to your horse when you do it? Can the movements be easy and light? Can you keep your hands soft? Think about your breathing. Many of us hold our breath when we're learning something new. So notice how your horse is breathing. Can you imagine that your horse's breath is filling up the expanded parts of the rib cage? So if you're bringing the ribs together on one side, think of the other side really filling up with, with, with the air, with their breath, right? And start asking, is it easier on one side? Is it different places easier? Again, we wanna come back to asking good quality questions and ask yourself, what have I learned about my horse by doing this? And what have I learned about myself? Because it also tells us a lot about ourselves, even our habits of thinking, right? Am I doing it right? Oh, this is stupid or whatever we habits we, we bring to it. So, okay. So this is the, uh, just a picture of that rib rope I was talking about. Um, and if anyone wants to get more information, I have a little video where I, I talk you through the rib rope. There's nothing to buy. I don't sell these. Um, you can use your horse's lead rope. You can use your dog's leash, maybe, or belt, whatever um, it's to do with yourself. Um, you can go to marydebono.com forward slash Wendy, and I'll get you set up with that. And, uh, and I'm like just I said, putting it in the chat so people have oh, Okay. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, so they can they can have that, and if they have, um, if the audio is bad on the rib accordion thing, I can send them an actual link if they email me if they want that as well. That's fine too. Um, if they want to hear it a little bit better, I'm happy to do that. And where can they email you? So it's uh, I'll show you the next slide. So Mary oh, at marydebono.com is my direct email. We make it easy, Wendy. You're Wendy at Wendy Murdoch, and I'm Mary at Mary <laughs> yeah. Debono. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's so funny when I go to non-horsey places and they ask for my email address and I give it to them. They look at me funny. <laughs> you have your own domain? I'm like, yeah. 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 <laughs> Doesn't everyone? <laughs> everyone should, really. So, uh, yeah. So, so this has been so fun, Wendy. I can't thank you enough. I'm just... Oh, this yeah. has been great. And it's just... Um, it's so nice to talk to a fellow Feldenkrais person because I'm like, yeah, the, you know, I say this to my students, but it's so nice to have someone else because you, you know, we use different words and different inflections. Yes, yes, yes. The same message. And I think that, uh, you know, the Feldenkrais work has influenced my life so profoundly that I don't even realize all the places that I implement it. Um, because it's more than just mm -hmm. a technique. It's also a, a way, a, a, if you will, a bit of a philosophy because we ask. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so it's been, it's just a pleasure because I knew that we were well aligned um, just from all the things that, you know, from. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and it's so fun because you added so much to that. Like I loved all the things you jumped because you just, yeah. Oh, I jump right in and interrupt everybody. Yeah. But no, no, no. I love it because it's like, yes, like it, it's so wonderful. I mean, um, yeah. So, so really the, the Feldenkrais method has totally transformed my life. So I, yeah. I just. I want to share it with everybody. Yep. That's how I feel. And then somebody in the chat just asked about, um, where is it? Um, it was in the chat about your dog 
course so they can oh, find okay. information so, yes 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 so i have here i happen to have i have a dog book called you Gro your screen we can see it oh right okay unshare my screen okay stop share we can yep okay there you go got it so i have a book called grow young with your dog Oh, and, cool. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's what this is for you? Actually, some non dog people even have bought this just for the Feldenkrais awareness through movement lessons in it. So you get um, there's a lot of stories and about how Feldenkrais works, but there's also, um, you know, and there's 12 moves you learn with your dog, but there's also 10 awareness through movement lessons, and you get audios of them for free with the book. So it's, I made it super, as a matter of fact, one of the big Feldenkrais trainers said, Mary, you didn't charge enough money for that book because they get, um, they get video, for the, video clips for the dog stuff and they get audio lessons for 10 awareness and movement lessons. And whether you buy the PDF off my website or you go to Amazon and buy this or the Kindle, you get it. So there's that. And then I have, this is more in depth. Uh, this was actually an advanced training I did for Feldenkrais practitioners about working with dogs, but it applies to everybody. There's no, you know, it has awareness through movement for people as well as how to work with dogs. Now, nobody uses DVDs anymore, but this is online. I sell it online. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's basically like a little course of videos that you can get so online. So, learn about Feldenkrais and work with your dog with the Feldenkrais method, which I think is fabulous. Yeah. So if they go to um, marydebono.com forward slash store, they can find both of these there, or they can go to Amazon for the book if they want a hard copy or something. Yeah. yeah I appreciate that, Wendy. Yeah. So, so thank you, whoever asked that question. Yeah. All right, Mary, well, I'm about to run out of battery here. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, everyone who's watching. I so appreciate Wendy, thank you for all of this. That's just great. I'm so glad to finally get to talk to you. Me too. And I'm hoping, I'm still hoping we're going to meet in person. I, so I'm sure we will. I haven't given up on that. Point, once this lets up and we can go back yes. to these travels. Absolutely. So Mary, thank you again. And just thank remember, everyone, you can find this and all the webinars on the Sherwood Equine YouTube channel. If you subscribe, then you'll get a notice every time we put up another webinar. Um, tomorrow, we do not have a webinar. I believe that's right. But we do on Thursday. And it's Dr. Hillary Clayton. And we're going to talk wow. about bits and bridles. And oh, you know, that's so awesome. I'm so excited about that webinar because it's such an important piece of this whole picture. Absolutely. Awesome. So, Thank awesome. you so much. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, okay. Mary. I'm sure we'll be okay. soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.